saying welcome to Church at Five. Uh, Church at Five is our English service here at Calvary Chapel, and so uh, it's fully in English, if you weren't aware. If this is your first time here, I just want to let you know. And uh, we believe that there's a purpose in this, in having an English service, that language is a huge part of how we connect with God. And, uh, you know, God doesn't uh, speak German or English. He doesn't care how we worship Him and what language we come to Him. And uh, this is an opportunity for people who would be comfortable with English to be able to connect with God through that. Um, If you are also, if you're first time here, I just want to say I'm Brandon. I'm one of the leaders here. And I've been, I'm not German, I come from the States, but I've been living here for a little over six years. And so this is home. I love Germany. I love uh, the culture and the people. And I'm excited to be here with you guys today. And I am excited about this message. It's actually something that's I've been excited about for weeks. And um, it's kind of a, we're going to get a little bit deep, but it's also really, really practical for us. Um, for those of you who are maybe just checking this out, or maybe you haven't been here for a few weeks, let me first kind of review what we're doing in this series. So we're going through the letter to the Galatians, and the letter to the Galatians is something that Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia, uh, addressing some issues that were facing there. But I want to kind of emphasize that this was these were churches that he had planted. And uh, that's important to remember because he has this relationship with the people that he's writing to. And everything that we look at, it has a context and a purpose behind it. There's a reason why this letter was written. And something that Sam, uh, who preached last week, kind of drew our attention to that I think is really cool to remember is that this is not just an idea. These aren't just fantasies or stories but real people. This is real events that happened, and um, it kind of helps us to root that Christianity is not just some timeless idea, but something that was real and had a beginning and had this kind of, uh, we can look at the early church and look at how God grew it and how God worked in it. So this is something that's really practical for us today and something that we can connect with. It's not just... uh, some abstract concept. It's something real with real people and real situations. And uh, if you did miss that sermon last week, I would encourage you to check it out online where Sam really gets in deeper with that. And uh, lastly, kind of just re-emphasizing that Paul had this connection with these people and he loved them. So sometimes this letter can get a little bit passionate and get a little bit uh, intense and he can come off a little strong, but we always want to remember that he is writing this because he loved the people, he loved the gospel of Christ, and he wanted to make sure that they were on the right track. And so the problem that he was addressing is that he had heard about false teachers, and we talked about them, they were Judaizers is what the the name that they had, and that was they believed in Jesus. They were Jewish Christians in the sense that they believed in Jesus. You need to believe on him to be saved, but that Jesus isn't enough, that you need more than Jesus. You also have to obey the Old Testament law. And Sam kind of drew our attention last week to the fact that 
A simple way to look at that is to, when we think of the Old Testament law, we can immediately think of the Ten Commandments. And that, and uh, the thing that the Judaizers were kind of emphasizing is that you had to not only believe in Jesus, but you had to obey these laws. And one of the key uh, things that they kept bringing up was circumcision, that men who came to believe in Jesus and said, okay, I'm a Christian, they had to be circumcised for that to be official. Otherwise, they weren't actually Christian. And of course, this is false. And that's why Paul is writing this letter. And so all through the letter, this is the issue that he's addressing from different ways. The Judaizers were coming in, and first they were trying to discredit Paul. So asking the, you know, raising the question of who's Paul, why should we listen to him, why does what he have to, has to say to us matter? And as soon as they put doubt in the Galatians' minds, they came in with, actually, we have the truth, and that's that you need more than Jesus to be saved. And this, of course, is a huge difference. There's a big difference between Jesus is enough and having to work our way to heaven. And so, Paul, that, that kind of explains the passion, I think, of why Paul writes sometimes a little bit intense. And today, especially, we're going to be looking at some passion of Paul and uh, how he directly kind of uh, gets into a conflict with Peter. But before we get into it any deeper, I want to just take a minute and pray and give this time over to the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much that these stories, that these uh, letters that we read were real and by, with real people and real experiences that we can look at, examine, and learn more of you and your ways and your truth and apply it to our lives today. So I pray that you would open our hearts to hear your words, that you would open my heart to speak your words that we would be able to take this truth, take these truths and apply them to the world around us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, like I say, this is very, I think, in my opinion, one of the most intense moments that we see in the, in the New Testament. Certainly one of them, uh, where Paul is going into direct conflict with Peter. And, I mean, let's think about, I mean, who's Paul and who's Peter? These are two heads of the church. I mean, Paul was kind of the, he was the, the head of the church and all of the mission to the non-Jewish uh, Christians. So that uh, kind of reached to us today eventually. So this is a huge head of the church. And then you have Peter on the other side who, about you know whom Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. So here you have one of the heads of the church in Jerusalem over the Jewish Christian community. So pretty intense when it comes to who these guys were and how important this situation would turn out to be. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn them on, open them up, whatever you have. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 11 and go all the way through 16. We'll start by just reading all the way through the text and then we'll go back and kind of examine it a little bit more in depth. So Galatians 2, 11 through 16. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face 
because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile. Or sorry, yeah, like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in, in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So first, we have this kind of intense situation there, this, is not, this wasn't done in private. This was at some sort of public event. Everybody eating together. Everybody assembled. And Paul just kind of directly stands up and calls him out on what he was doing wrong. And today we're going to look at this situation from these two perspectives. We're going to look at the situation from Peter's perspective and Paul's and kind of examine what was going on, why they were doing it, was it wrong, what was wrong. And keeping in mind, again, the whole letter, that this was written with a purpose. There was a reason why. He's not just telling a story to make his letter more interesting. He had a purpose in this. And this particular section is really a part of Paul's defense of himself and simultaneously his defense of the gospel that he preached. He's showing the importance of the gospel and how nobody is above it. And we're going to look at that a little bit more. So starting at the top, in verse 11, we see where this happened. This happened in Antioch. And I think we need to also, for context, kind of draw a little bit of attention to that. That uh, Antioch is kind of like Paul's headquarters. This is where he wrote letters from. This is where he did sent out a lot started out in a lot of his missions journeys. So this is kind of like a an an official unofficial hub of the church into the Gentile world, which makes it even more significant that there would be this drawing or this kind of separating between the Gentiles and the Jews. And I also want to draw attention to what, to me in the text, is kind of this elephant in the room, which is where Paul says, where we see, uh, I guess, in verse, in verse 11, Paul opposed him to his face. That is pretty intense and pretty direct. And I, I first think, well, is he allowed to do that? Is Paul allowed to just, I mean, this is the guy that Jesus said on this rock. So is he allowed to confront Peter in this way? Is he permitted? And for that, I want to look at something that we actually skipped over a few weeks ago when we were going through chapter 1. 
And so we're going to jump to Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Kind of build some reference in this letter. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Hmm. Now, Paul makes the point that not him, not anybody, not even an angel from heaven can come down and tell you something other than this truth, other than the gospel truth. He really draws this kind of curtain over everybody there is no exceptions and he brings himself under that and i think this curse is really something to not be taken lightly that word for curse that he uses is really about excommunication so he's basically saying if anybody comes to you even myself and tries to preach to you something other than the truth that you received they should be completely excommunicated from God's family. That's something that should be taken with a sense of weight and definitely not to be taken lightly. Paul's really painting this as it's something serious. The gospel is something to be taken seriously. And here at the end we see he's not trying to please people. And I think that is very clearly demonstrated also in the text that we're looking at today. You don't stand up and confront the leader of the Jewish church if you're trying to please people. That could go really bad. And I think for most of us, it probably is not a good idea to stand up and just start yelling out, confront confrontations to people. But... Here in this situation, there was something special going on. And for me, as being up here preaching, and I think anybody who's going to be preaching or teaching the word of God, this kind of, this curse that uh, Paul emphasizes here of, to the point of being excommunicated from God's family, makes us need to kind of solemnly think about what we're teaching, solemnly think about what we're sharing. And this brings us back to the perspectives of these two guys. So we have Paul's perspective and Peter's, and we're going to look first at Peter's. The question then becomes, okay, you're talking about curses and being excommunicated from God's family. I mean, but what, what did Peter really do that would go in line with this? Was he really wrong? And some would even raise the question, can an apostle be wrong? Can an apostle sin to this, uh, this extremely that he would be excommunicated? Or what, what are you really trying to say? And I think, first of all, I just want to be very clear that apostles can sin. They can make mistakes. They're human beings. And uh, that's an encouraging thought. I mean, if we have to also kind of remember, just as a side note, that the Bible 
is the truth of God's word. And if the Bible was trying to make itself look good, it wouldn't put these stories of people making mistakes in it. This is for us to see that God uses us, uses the foolishness of man to do his work and to spread his word and to, yeah, be ministers. And we talked about that, or Sam talked about that last week, that an apostle is basically a messenger of Christ. So, yes, Peter can make mistakes, and it's not the first time he made a mistake. I mean, we know that he denied Christ three times at the crucifixion. But I want to look a little bit deeper. So let's go back to our text and look at verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision party. So what was Peter's fault? What was his sin? Peter's sin was his hypocrisy that was driven by his fear of what others would think, how he would look to other people. His hypocrisy came from fear. He was living one way here with these people and living another with these. With the, he, with the Gentiles, he was saying, okay, yeah, it's okay for us to eat any foods. It's okay for me to eat with you. In the Jewish customs, it was not permitted for a Jew to sit down at a table and eat with a Gentile at all. It was completely forbidden. And so that's what's really happening here. So he's, Paul is calling him out saying, hey, last week we were all having dinner together and everything was fine. And this week you're acting like it's all uncool. Like what's up? He's just calling him out on what he was doing. And he knew, he knew it was wrong. Paul directly is opposing him, calling him out. I like that. (laughs) So his sin was this inauthentic living. He's not being authentic. He's not being the same and consistent in his walk. He's not living the gospel. And this is something I think we really just have to kind of let sink in for a moment, this idea of, being authentic in our living, that we would learn from this idea of not not living fake, not living one way here, not having the church version of ourselves and the work version of ourselves, but being genuine and being authentic in every area of our lives. But here it gets a little bit worse with Peter. If we look at verse 13, it says, The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So that's where it really gets interesting. Yes, he was was living um, out this kind of double standard, this hypocrisy. But what makes it really dangerous is who he was. This was a head of the church, a leader. And so, of course, others started to follow him. And when it says even Barnabas, I want to explain what, what he's talking about there is 
Barnabas was a companion of Paul. So this was a guy who did ministry to Gentiles with Paul, like all the time. And in some cases, him, uh, Paul, Barnabas, and Titus would do ministry together. And Titus was not a Jew, and the Bible tells us that he was not required to be circumcised, which means Barnabas knew that this was wrong. Barnabas knew this, uh, this doesn't feel right, but I guess if Peter's doing it, maybe we should follow him. And that's why this becomes so dangerous. So he's not living genuine, he's not living authentically, and he's leading other people down that same path. And so one, you have the, the leading of the Jewish Christians down a false path of hypocrisy, but you also have the outcasting of the Gentile Christians. I mean, these guys were like, hey, we just had a meal together last week, and now you're saying we're not good enough to sit with you. And so it drew them, it pushed them away. He led the Jewish Christians down this path of hypocrisy. And so this is where we can really see how just incredibly dangerous this situation could have turned out had Paul not stood up. There could have been the, a, a beginning of a separation of the church where you would have the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians and they can both be Christians but they can't interact. There was a, just the beginning of a prejudice against the non-Jewish Christians. And when it comes to being inauthentic and when it comes to kind of this one way here and another way there, I think this, this is in a little bit different context, but we see this image that Jesus paints for us in Revelations chapter 3. And just to show how how important it is for us to be single-minded in the eyes of Christ. And here Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. That is also a pretty intense image. But something, again, I want us to sink in, to let sink in, and to think about our own lives in this idea of being genuine, of being, I mean, Jesus is saying, just you know, be hot or cold, but don't be in the middle. Don't be one way here and another way there. Be who I've called you to be, he's saying. And be that all the time. I mean, let's pray that those words are never uttered about us as a church, that we are not hot or cold, but lukewarm, but let's be hot. Hmm. Let's be single-minded in our, in our hearts, in our minds, and in our deeds to walk this straight path. Peter was leading others astray in his actions. He was not living the gospel. And that's where we can see this connection again with the whole letter of not even an angel can come down and tell you something that's not the truth. 
And here I see this transition of it's not just about what you know. It's not even just about what you say. It's about the way you live your life. That we're not just spreading the gospel in our words, but also in our deeds. And being consistent with that. And I want to emphasize that Peter did know by looking at, again, verse 15 and 16 of our text today. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Peter knew the gospel. I don't believe that's in question at all. But here in this situation, he wasn't living it out. He knew that there's nothing that we can do to be saved. There's no, we can't obey the law enough to be saved. But by his actions, he was showing that that is what you need. He was showing that you have to follow the law. and Oh, you can't eat with the Gentiles. You can't eat certain foods. When in reality, he knew in his heart that that was wrong. He knew. And we, if you look at the story, it's, you can look at the whole kind of playing out of this in the book of Acts, where we see that Peter clearly knows, he clearly knows that this about this truth that he is saved only by the grace of God through faith in him. So he was leading them astray. And for us, this means a call to be consistent, a call to be genuine, to be authentic and sincere in all of our actions, no matter who we are with or what we're doing. And it's so much easier to live that way, honestly. I mean, if we're living authentically, if we're living out what we know to be true, then we're not having to think about who's, who we're with or think about getting caught in a lie or wondering how we'll look. Let's, not li- let's stand with, with Paul who said, am I trying to please people? If I was trying to please people, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. And Peter is taking on this trying to please people, trying to look a certain way in front of these Jewish Christians from Jerusalem instead of living out what he knows, not caring who sees him or how he looks. This is so important for us today as believers because the Bible calls us the light and the salt of the world. And... We have to be consistent. We have to be ready in season and out of season. No matter where we are or what we're doing or who we're with, that we're ready for what God would want to do. And that happens when we're living a genuine life, when we're living authentically. I mean, I think there is, there is a, a sense you might say, okay, well... I don't know exact. I don't know all the truths of the Bible. I don't know if I'm living you know, truly authentically. Well, I think God knows our heart. And here with Peter, we see that he was not living a truth that he did know. So we can start there. We can start with the truths we do know and making sure that we're living authentically with those truths in mind.
especially when it comes to the gospel. Now, I want to switch gears to Paul's perspective before we run completely out of time. And now I'm going to have to go a little bit faster. Um, I want to start by saying Paul's perspective, when we look at what he did, it is a unique situation. There, is, uh, there was a lot at stake. The gospel was at stake. The church had a potential of becoming split. So him standing up directly, confronting uh, Peter the way he did, was needed in that situation. But when we're looking at the application for us today, I want to be clear that that is not always the best way to go about it. We don't always need to stand up and directly, publicly confront somebody. And so I do want to emphasize that there is a time for that. There's a way and there's a place for confronting people and confronting the sin in, in each other's lives. And I think it's something that's very healthy and something that's important for a church to do and to understand. And Jesus lays out a nice, simple way of looking at this that we're going to examine. And this is what I'm going to kind of call like our rules of engagement when we're dealing with addressing the sin or addressing a situation or addressing somebody uh, that might be struggling with something. We have to first and foremost always do it in love. Always do it with love and mind. Paul loved Peter. He didn't do this because he wanted to bring him down or to spite him. He loved him. And he also loved the, the people that he was leading astray. And he also loved the gospel. But love was ultimately his motivation. And so it should always be ours. Anytime that we're dealing with a conflict or dealing with uh, any kind of sin that we might be addressing in one another, love always needs to be number one. And a good way to think about that is if, you're, if you ever see somebody and you feel like you need to confront them about something, it should never be to bring them down, but always to bring them up. It should always, your goal and your heart should always be to edify and to encourage and to strengthen somebody. So here's Jesus' kind of standard when it comes to addressing that. In Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. So a couple key things. One, brother and sister. He's talking about believers. He's talking about a community in our community of church. There's a place for this. But it needs to be done in a way that is loving and in a way that is one-on-one, in private. Hey, I see that you might be struggling with something and I just want you to know I'm here. I want to pray with you about it. If you'd be interested, not forcing ourselves doesn't say, and if they don't listen, you know, yell at them or, you know, try to do it publicly next time. We need to be sensitive in addressing things like this. But I do think there's something really awesome that can happen when we do that as a community. And just as a reminder, what Jesus also said in Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? And pay no attention to the plank in your own. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, 
when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So it's easy to judge one another. It's easy to see the faults in other people. But we need to also be examining our own hearts all the time as well. Remembering what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that God is working in our hearts. God is doing something in us and trusting him in that and being sensitive to be molded and changed by him before we're constantly trying to see the fault in other people. But that's where I think we can see the difference if we're doing something in love or not. If I'm doing something in love, if I see somebody, if I see a brother who's struggling with something, I can, I can open myself up as well. Hey, I've struggled with that too. I know what that feels like. And there's a, there's a connection that can happen that can allow us to grow in a way spiritually that I find not, that's hard to match when we are on our own. There's something in being connected to other believers and encouraging and strengthening and even kind of confronting one another when it's done in love that can be so, so uh, just engaging in our hearts. So to close, I, I, yeah, to close, I want to look at that. I want us to kind of imagine this what this looks like remembering that you know church is not man's idea it was god's idea it was god's idea to develop church and to develop communities and what would it look like if we as believers today were living single-minded in all that we did what would it look like if we were living authentically if the people that we were in church when, or the people that we were, when we're worshiping God alone, it's the same person we are in every area, in every experience that we have, with every person we encounter. What could that look like? And also this idea of confronting one another. And again, I want to emphasize in love, not to try to condemn, not to try to bring people down, but with the goal of seeing them edified and seeing them being able to overcome things in their lives. What could that look like? I think it's something that God had intended when he created church. It's something that I hope to see developing in this church, in this community. Being not just uh, quick to condemn, but also open to be, to for someone to come and to, maybe confront us, that our hearts would be open to want to grow. And I think that there is a, a level of relationship that needs to happen. If somebody you don't know comes to you and starts telling you all the things you're doing wrong, I don't think you're required or need to listen to anything they have to say. But if somebody you know, someone you trust, comes to you and says, hey, you know what, I, I feel like I need to confront you on something, Let's not be quick to shout, shut them down and say, no, you don't know what you're talking about. Let's be open. Let's be open to grow. Let's be open to be challenged and see what God would do with that. And I want to kind of read this, this verse that I think is, uh, is such a cool goal to have. In Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 14 and 15. 
And I think this is what we're heading towards when we're creating a culture, we're creating a community where we're able to confess and to confront one another in a way that's loving and edifying and allows us to grow as believers. So, Ephesians 4, 14 to 15, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. That is the exact image that I'm trying to create and cultivate for you guys this morning, or this evening. <laughs> it's not morning service. That this idea of being single-minded, this idea of teaching and speaking to, into each other's lives in a loving way, that we're not tossed back and forth, that we're not easily led astray, but really devoted and set in. And I just want to, this isn't in my notes, but I just feel like I really want to kind of emphasize this, that this makes us dangerous as Christians in the world. When we're able to strengthen one another and to grow and to build each other up in a way that I believe God intended for us to do, and that makes us dangerous in the world. The world is full of lies and deceit and and people that are trying to get us to go down their way. And when we have a solid base where our community is something that we can trust in and rely on to be a strength in our lives, it makes us dangerous in the world. I mean that in a good way. And I think that we should seek to be more dangerous as believers. That we should seek to be strong in our community. Praying for each other. And here's the difference. Here's the contrast. The contrast is every week we see each other and we say, Oh, hey, hey, it's good to see you. Everything good? Yeah, everything's great. Super, awesome. Life's good. And never going any deeper. And it's fine to, you know, small talk is good for some people. But I think we should seek as believers to go deeper. To build relationships, not just to, so we have somebody to go to lunch with on Sundays, but to build relationships so that we can be speaking into each other's lives, strengthening and challenging one another. Not just with light, kind of fake encouragement, but really challenging one another, where we can actually come to each, each other and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I need help. Hey, I think you're struggling with this. Let me help you. And I think there is something really amazing that can happen in a community that builds itself on this idea rather than let's come and consume. Let's come and sit and listen to the songs and listen to the message and have some crackers after and go home. But actually trying to develop something that's genuine. So, <laughs> in close, and the band can come on up. Let's be authentic in every area of our lives, staying on this straight and narrow. And let's be open to people we trust and love to speak into our lives in a real way. And let's be this community, or at least seek it. 
one step at a time, building relationships in a way that's genuine and authentic, that we can grow and be challenged from in a way that prepares us for what God wants to do in our lives and through us in our communities, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools. Let's be ready for what he would want to do. Amen.